Barcelona is a large city now, and our policing model needs to um, mirror that. Welcome to Kelowna Talks, where we explore the why behind the decisions that shape your city. Together, we open the curtain and dig deep into current issues, plans, and policies that come out of City Hall. Thanks for joining us as we talk about Kelowna and the topics that matter to you. Hi, everyone. I'm Bob Evans, Partnerships Director at the City of Kelowna and host of our Kelowna Talks podcast. I acknowledge that our community is located on the traditional, ancestral, unceded territory of the Silks Okanagan people. Well, we are uh, talking today about a subject that has likely touched everyone at some point in some way, and that's crime and community safety. We've seen the headlines about crime and safety in Kelowna, but do we actually, uh, does this actually reflect reality? In this episode, we're going to dig a little deeper into a topic of community safety and policing in Kelowna, what's being done, and what each of us can do. Welcome, Kara Triants, our own superintendent of the Kelowna RCMP Detachment. She has more than 20 years of policing experience, including the Whistler, Sea to Sky region, Bella Bella, Richmond, YVR, and Vernon. Now I understand, Kara, you grew up in Kelowna, worked in several other detachments in different roles, and now you're home overseeing the Kelowna RCMP. It's been a little more than a year since you've joined the detachment. Tell us a little bit about how your journey back to Kelowna and a little bit about you and maybe more importantly, what you do when you're not in uniform. Welcome. Thank you. So yeah, Kara Triance, I'm uh, pleased to have served uh, the last 22 years in BC and back in my hometown. Uh, not something many officers get to experience, so I'm pretty thrilled about that opportunity. Um, I was a graduate of Mount Boucherie Secondary School, and my dad was a teacher in this school district and my mom a nurse. So lots of roots here and uh, happy to be home and policing here. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, how, do you, like, how do you get back home? What's the, what's the process for you to actually get to Kelowna in, in the detachment? Is that a difficult uh, thing to achieve? Um, so the particular position that I am in officer in charge, I interviewed for, there was, um, originally 40 candidates, um, on the list of qualified applicants for the position. And so I worked through that, uh, list, uh, among the others, and we competed for this position through, um, interviews and through, uh, submissions of resumes and, um, all of that. So we, there's a competitive process for my position, um, but for other officers, uh, it's about the right time at the right place and certainly uh, serving time in some of our harder to staff locations like the North District or um, up north. Uh, of course, Canada is a, a large country with a, a Royal Canadian Mounted Police across the country. And uh, what's unique about the Mounties is we have a staffing model that allows us to move um, among divisions uh, to the north, uh, east coast of Canada, central Canada. Um, so a lot of that has to do with... Um, coming back to desirable locations or places that people really are um, seeking. We talk about that sunshine right, tax right, here yes. in uh, Kelowna that people uh, are sought after. And so for, for Mounties, it's no different. If you go and spend some time in those hard to staff locations, then um, you can absolutely uh, work your way back into Kelowna, um, into those positions through that. And it looks like you've been on, in a few places yourself and we're happy to have you back. So uh, yeah, it must be really nice to be, to be home, so to speak. Thanks. Yeah, my yeah. career is primarily focused in operations, and my first five were down in the Lower Mainland in Richmond, um, 
and there had an opportunity to work a variety of different uh, positions and duties um, from serious crimes through to uh, different covert operations and then up into the North District, which was a unique experience in itself. Um, we were there for two years, my husband and myself, my now husband, uh, who's a biologist and a teacher, and uh, we had an incredible time there. Uh, over to Island District, which is a wonderful place to be, another sought-after location, and um, we were in Victoria, uh, Border Integrity, and I did a really phenomenal project there with um, the U.S. Coast Guard and uh, Shiprider, where we policed both in Washington and in B.C., um, doing cross-border law enforcement, mostly on marine drug interdiction. So lots of unique experiences uh, yeah, sounds like it. in the yeah. island. Back up to the North District for four years this time. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Vernon, North Okanagan was home for four years as well. We were in um, Vernon in the city as well as in um, Iran Armstrong Detachment in the rural area. And uh, then over to Sea to Sky, which is where my commission was. So I policed uh, Bowen Island, Squamish, Whistler, and Pemberton uh, before coming back to Kelowna. Wonderful career, in my opinion. Uh, you sign up to become a Mountie to explore this country. And uh, I feel like I've only gotten the, sh the opportunity to police in BC. But um, there's incredible, incredible um, opportunities in policing to see our country and experience and integrate into our communities in, in pretty unique ways. Sounds like a bit of a pitch for the RCMP. Wasn't we are recruiting. <laughs> I, I certainly would put a pitch in at yeah, any point yeah, for it. Yeah. So it's been an, a really rewarding job experience for me. No, it's wonderful. And thank you. And, and uh, now you're back and you're in Kelowna and you've been here for a year. So what's your impression of, uh, of, of now that you're back and you're, you've doubled down and uh, what's, what's your impression of crime and safety in Kelowna? I know it's a, it's a big, broad question, but, you know, where are you with that? Yeah, so a year into the job, or just over a year now, um, really, you know, Kelowna has grown. It's it's big city policing now, and we're we're honing in on efficiencies and processes that allow us to be more effective um, as a large city police force. And I think that's an important thing to remember because so many of us who grew up here in Kelowna and have been here for long periods of time, while I've left and come back, I still feel my roots here and. Um, we remember small town Kelowna, but Kelowna is a large city now and our policing model needs to uh, mirror that. So there's lots of things that we are doing uh, in the city of Kelowna and within the police station to uh, make sure that we have modernized and grown to meet those um, demands for community safety. Um, certainly with our partnership and work with uh, Interior Health and our partners in the justice system, it is about making sure that we respond to crime in a matter that aligns with uh, large city structures. And when it's crime and it's coupled with health, uh, whether that be mental health or addictions, uh, any sort of substance use, we really have to make sure that we are meeting people where they're at and addressing those services in our community to uh, meet those, those basic needs. Housing, uh, so shelter, food, addiction services, detox services, um, substance uh, replacement therapies, those are, are the most problematic issues that we have when it comes to community safety in Kelowna at this time. And, uh, and of course, we're looking at reported crime. We know that crime happens in this community uh, and in all communities across uh, the world that is unreported. But certainly when we're looking at reported crime and the data and analytics that we have coming in, it is uh, most problematic um, and, and probably... Um, the area that we need to focus the most on when we look at that fueled by addictions and, uh, and certainly 
uh, substance use. Big city stuff. Big city so, stuff. Yeah, that's what comes with it. How, what's the current complement of officers? What's the, the size of our operation in Kelowna? Yeah, so City of Kelowna funds 210 police officers. I'm the regional uh, officer in charge, and so I'm also in charge of Lake Country, West Kelowna, and Peachland. And across the region, we are at approximately 300. So aside from starting your new job during a pandemic, have there been any other unexpected challenges or surprises uh, that you've encountered? So, right, there's nothing... um, that's been simple about this pandemic and Kelowna in itself has experienced a lot of challenges um, throughout the pandemic uh, as it relates to protests and the anti-vaccine population that is uh, opposed to the regulations being uh, put in place by the province of BC in attempts to keep the community safe and and to try and uh, get COVID at a manageable level. And certainly that's uh, fallen to the police to address. So I think in my, if I envisioned my first year of policing, it wasn't um, responding as much to protests and as it is. And uh, that's become a significant draw and demand on resources. We've had uh, 40 protests this year that, um, all require operational plans, they require investment in resources, they require um, enhanced policing above and beyond what we currently have planned for. Yeah, and again, not expected, not budgeted for, not scheduled for, so it takes Just away off the from sides some of, of the our other, desks. <laughs> some of the other big city issues that you, that you were uh, referring to. Certainly. Bit of a challenge. Um, we had a 2020 citizen survey that showed 87% of citizens who responded feel safe in our community. That's, that's a pretty positive number. At the same time, we hear about property crime and bike thefts, car break-ins, and all those things that violate a person's sense of safety. A priority for our city council is to see crime decrease, as we've talked about, and, re- and for residents to feel safe, which is you know, an obvious thing, I think. So how do you see that happening? What's your, how do you lay out a plan to, to address those concerns, those mm-hmm. issues? Well, it's absolutely in partnership with uh, the community. So not only the city of Kelowna, but the province of BC and their investments in health resourcing, um, housing and uh, shelter beds, all sorts of addiction services. These are really important uh, investments in our community that's going to help us, particularly with property crime. So when we think about property crime, and we look at the statistics that are fueling property crime, if we look even over the last 60 days at the most significant and problematic offenders, those who are committing uh, 30, 40 offenses in one month, they are individuals who have complex needs, both in addictions and mental health. And, um, and those who are breaking into houses and breaking into vehicles are addicted individuals who are um, stealing property to fuel those addictions and fuel drug trade. So lots of suppression work on the uh, drug trade within Kelowna, but more specifically, I think getting to the roots of the problem, because we can um, we can work on that suppression and the organized crime component. That is a very important area of focus. However, uh, we've got to take out the need for it. And the need for it is early on ad- addressing trauma and addressing um, people's um, issues that that result in complex addictions later on in life. And that can be a whole host of different things. Uh, Some of it genetic, some of it uh, the situation that they were born into or grew up into. And for policing, I envision that uh, we 
we invest heavily and well in our work in partnership with um, agencies like the Child Advocacy Center or um, Elizabeth Fry and our victim services providers, our schools. When we partner with those agencies that are providing services to um, children and youth in our community and meet them at where they're at to make sure that those services are provided in a extremely trauma-informed way and sensitive way early on and try and change that trajectory of um, the pathway that that individual might be on, I believe we have the greatest chance for success in not seeing that person become underhoused and addicted later on in life. We're not going to be able to measure that quickly or simply. Um, some of this work is 30 years down the road, but I do believe that that investment is very important. Um, and, and the research and data show that uh, over and over again uh, as we start to look at trauma science and addictions um, and police contacts and how people end up in jail, what causes that uh, early on. Yeah, well, and from my perspective, it it's uh, reassuring to hear you talk about that. Again, I, I maybe I'm naive in this subject, um, but it just seems to be new to the policing psyche to address some of these uh, complex needs issues. And obviously it's, it's um, one of the, the most important issues in our community that just permeates every aspect. And other people I've talked to in different aspects and you know, other side of the microphone, we've, we've touched on that as well. And that was my next question was about the criminal justice system as well, because you've been a little bit critical on that. I know this is maybe a bit of a sensitive topic, but you know, with, with our, 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 the system that's in place, um, your ability to work within that system, are we, are we missing something? What needs to happen in your, from your perspective, I guess, um, within our city, because that's what we can control, but then um, breaking that out to, to a provincial level, even a federal level. Mm-hmm. So if we had a couple of hours today, we could get into <laughs> yeah. this uh, yeah. very passionate discussion that I, I think is uh, extremely interesting. Um, so from a research perspective, one of the the important studies I always like to highlight is the Alberta Prison Project, which is ongoing and has had a lot of um, uh, really meaningful feedback. And it's looking at individuals who are incarcerated in Alberta and BC and their first contact with police. And this is really getting into the roots of trauma-informed policing and also response to trauma. So not just policing and how police officers respond to trauma, but how do we respond as child and family services agencies? How do we respond as uh, community service providers and educators and healthcare workers to people impacted by trauma in order to change that trajectory for those individuals and make sure we get them on a path to health and wellness? So that comes through housing and that comes through other areas. When we talk about, um, your question relates really to that hard on crime and the gaps in the justice system. So there's been some changes in, during COVID as well as in recent court decisions, such as uh, Zora would be an example, um, Supreme Court decisions that have impacted our ability to have the justice system hold people in custody uh, for offenses like property crime or breaches offense, breach offenses. So if they've been released on a bail term and they're breaching those bail terms, they're out um, after their curfew or they're found in possession of break-in tools, being able to hold them on those breaches is uh, less possible now. We have to vary their terms of their bail uh, multiple times often before we see them held in custody. And, um, and also COVID, meaning um, the, the remand centers tried to decrease the population, or sorry, the province uh, gave orders to decrease the uh, population in remand facilities. And so remand facilities at 50% capacity mean that the 
uh, justice workers are having to decide early on, our partners in, in Crown Council and the Federal Prosecution Service are having to decide early on whether or not cases will go forward. So they're trying, triaging them, in, in yeah, essence. Yeah. Trying to make sure that they stay out of, um, out of the remand facilities. So a couple of things, court decisions, um, COVID uh, impacting remand centers, as well as just um, the modernization of society has, has definitely delivered um, changes in perception on what we should do with people committing crime in our community and how we should access services. Um, the problem being, not all of those services are available in our community yet and in communities across Canada. We don't have adequate healthcare services to be able to respond to those who are not being held in jail. So if you're not being held in jail and you can't access detox, um, health. Yeah, where do you go? Exactly. You're on the street. You're on the street yeah. and you're committing more crime on the street because you're living a life of um, substance use and addiction fueled by crime and you're left for the police to manage and or uh, impacted businesses, homeowners, residents, um, vehicles that are being broken into in order to address these these people at large in our community. Well, and that's, you know, you and I had a bit of a brief discussion before we started the podcast, but it's difficult to be a police officer from my perspective sitting in this chair because you're trying to balance out um, policing, you know, as you were trained and now you layer in complex needs and now, you know, we layer in Joe Average, who owns a business, owns a building downtown and gets vandalized and the frustration level that percolates from a from a perception standpoint of, are we doing enough? Mm. So I guess, you know, it's... Uh, that is the things that keep me awake at night. Yeah, so, you know, when, yeah. we, when I hear of a, a glass break business break, break and enter um, downtown Kelowna, it, it breaks my heart. I know how hard those business owners are working to try and keep their storefronts open. And yet... Um, knowing the likely suspects who are breaking into these businesses, how do we get them held in jail when they're having to be caught 10, 15 times before they're remanded into custody um, and having adequate resources to do that? So we either have to be um, extremely hard on crime with adequate resourcing for policing to be able to to put suppression efforts on offenders and get them held into jail and our justice systems need to respond to that. Or we need to be able to have adequate health care and compliance tools to hold them to um, accessing that healthcare and receiving that. Right now, healthcare is a voluntary service and it is something that we have to engage in. But if you don't want to engage in healthcare, uh, we have to look at consequence and that's our jail system. And we as a society are not imposing um, jail terms based on people who won't access treatment. And this is where I think as a society, we need to be understanding these issues and start to invest where we feel we need to. This isn't a decision I can make as your police chief in isolation. I think as a community, we need to come to an understanding about what we want. Are we hard on crime? Are we supporting people from trauma and addictions? Are we providing services? Are we somewhere in the middle? And these are these are big, these are big tough topics. Issues. Yeah, and you know, and I think our our current city council has addressed this, and I, I think they've been very supportive with uh, supporting. Uh, housing projects and to get people housed and the journey home and there's been a lot of effort on our behalf and I I look at it from my lens that we are a progressive city and we want to be a progressive city and we're trying to be the best mid-sized city in Canada and as part of that has to be our effort to be compassionate but also as you're saying there's you know there's the reality of there there's crimes that are being committed so we we it's such a 
that's why they call it complex, I guess. There's so there's such a complex landscape in front of us of um, of the the justice system and then compassion for people that have mental health issues and really don't know any better. And we can't mix the metaphors there with uh, how we deal with crime. I agree with you. And in cities like Vancouver, you see outreach services like psychiatric outreach services and addiction outreach services walking the streets of Vancouver. I believe we are at a place where we need that in Kelowna. Our city council has been very proactive, not only in their communication and their advocacy, but in their investments. And yet we still need more investments. We need more from BC housing. We have people right now that uh, if I locate somebody who is underhoused and uh, with complex needs, I don't have a bed to put them in tonight. And that is a problem for a police officer who's trying to move somebody off of someone's private property yeah, to or where? To where? the streets yeah. of Leon. Yeah. We yeah. remember when that was yeah. uh, a tent city. We have the outdoor sheltering site, um, but we need, we need enhanced uh, complex care facilities. And when I talked to my partners at Interior Health, not only did they need enhanced complex care facilities, but they need the staff to work in those facilities. Yes. They're understaffed and they need more people to be able to provide those really important services. So when you take somebody with extremely complex needs of violence and addictions and um, challenging behaviors, we also need to make sure that we are um, adequately staffing those facilities uh, to make sure that those residents are not having an impact on one another or our community safety. Yeah, well said. And I think that uh, our province is working towards that. And hopefully there'll be some provincial announcements soon for funding projects. And of course, we're hoping to get one in Kelowna. So that would be wonderful. We'll see how that we goes. Welcome so, that news. Yeah. And so that brings me to to um, to another question. Will more officers help? You know, policing is costly. We all know that. Uh, it's the city's largest line item on their budget. Uh, in 2020, it was $38.6 million, and council approved 11 RCMP in, in 2020. So that's a significant investment by all of us as taxpayers. Uh, what can Help us understand what difference having more officers make to the safety in our city and to your ability as the, as the chief to, um, to make things happen from a policing perspective. Absolutely. So yes, in answer to your question, are, are more officers needed? Absolutely more officers are needed. We have had significant investments from the city council, but we're still playing catch up in that um, a study was done several years back indicating we needed more police officers. And I could look at that independently and uh, test that against data and analytics that we have today and say, absolutely, we need uh, more officers. However, um, what is the what is the right number? This city has a very large line object for policing, um, arguably because the other major public services um, like healthcare and education, um, housing, all of these ones are provincially mandated, and so uh, policing being a municipal expense is significant. There's no doubt about it. Fire being another significant expense for municipalities, um, and that weighs heavily on this beautiful city that we're in and the mm -hmm, taxpayers that mm -hmm. pay to live here. Um, but I believe that uh, the mental health and wellness of our police officers, we have, um, we're about in the top third of the province when it comes to caseload, uh, calls for service, crime rate, and things that impact health and wellness of police officers, staffing levels. So being able to uh, keep people at work healthy and well and not um, off duty with long-term uh, 
um, PTSD and other issues that are affected when their their stress is high and they're responding to um, really significant calls for service. When I start to see our calls for service that are priority one, meaning needing immediate police response now, often multiple units, stacking, that's unheard of. And stacking priority one calls for service cannot become a practice or a yeah, norm Yeah, so what does that us. mean, stacking? What do you... Mm, great question. So we have a dispatch yeah. service that... Um, that when a call taker takes a call and they're they're asking you for your name and your information, it seems like uh, nothing's happening with that file. But that file has already been punched over to the call takers, or sorry, to the dispatchers who have categorized that file. Um, sorry, I should say at call taking, right when they're taking the call initially, they will put that as a priority one, two, or three call. Three being your lowest priority, uh, even four is even even lower priority, priority one being your highest priority call. You need to get there. Uh, industry standard is within seven minutes. So that means we need to have available police officers around the city because if they're all responding from, let's say, downtown and they need to get to a call in Rutland, we need to have units that are free and able to attend a call for service or break off from the less priority call for service in their area of responsibility. When the call taker is taking your information, your date name, your date of birth, it seems like a slow process and you're having to provide a lot of information, but they are populating that file with, with data. And at the same time, a dispatcher is dispatching that file and communicating that to the police officers who are attending that call for service. Sometimes those go into a queue and they get stacked. When a night shift comes on and we've got 100 files stacked and you're wondering why nobody showed up for your um, break and enter or your uh, suspicious person in the alleyway, that's extremely problematic. We need to make sure that we're able to get to those calls for service in a timely manner and that we can respond with the right number of resources. Also that our police officers are able to appropriately discharge after an event and decompress. That might take me 30 seconds to catch their breath in between calls for service. Right. It might mean five minutes where they actually And everybody's call is the most important. Everybody's call is the most have, important. You have no idea when you're behind the other end of the telephone that what the the call load is on your side so everybody's frustrated and it can add up to lots of pressure on both sides of the phone absolutely yeah. on times when i've observed a collision on the street and i've called that in to the police i want that to be activated and dealt with immediately to me what i'm seeing unfolding in front of me is the most significant issue however if you have 10 police cars on the road or 20 police cars on the road they're all tied up with different things. They're all into different areas of responsibility and you've got nobody to respond to your call for service. As a citizen, you start to lose confidence in your police service. And we need to be really careful about um, making sure that we have adequate resources to be able to attend the calls for service that we see are coming in. And year over year, we've seen increases in calls for service and an uptick as we start to see more and more calls for service. Um, our prisoner numbers are high and our calls for service are high. Wow. Yeah. It's, um, again, people can't see your face, but there's, <laughs> it's, it's a concern obviously. And, and, you know, I hate to hear that this keeps you up at night. And, uh, that's what leadership is though, I guess, is trying to unpack these things. And it's obviously a, a really complicated, uh, multifaceted issue. And it's not necessarily more officers, but it's more officers plus mental health, um, supports and more community, facilities and so on it's not a really quick uh wave the wand and we can uh, yeah, find a quick solution well, to this yeah. there's multiple facets and we are doing so many phenomenal things uh 
and and seeing so much progress. You know, when I hear of police officers uh, just this week alone um, arresting people in stolen vehicles and picking off our most uh, wanted um, criminals, the people who have warrants and are committing the most amount of crime over the last 30 days, uh, according to our data and analytics, um, I, I feel so proud of those officers, those officers who are coming to work uh, in the front line, responding to those serious calls for service in the middle of a global pandemic, not confident on their health and wellness uh, mm-hmm, through fire season sure. and yeah. heat waves and significant events in our community. Um, those police officers are what keep me coming back every day, uh, making sure that we can have the staff in place for them, that we have the partnerships established, that we are speaking um truthfully and accurately to the issues that we see um, as your police service. Wow. Well, mm-hmm. I think they're fortunate to have a leader like you. You're, you're obviously, you're exuding um, support and confidence and, and, and leadership attributes. So thank you for that. And we're close to the end of our time. We're, we try to limit how much time we, we have. Um, did I miss anything? Uh, I always like to ask what else you do for fun. So, we you know we want to sort of rip off um, the, the the cover, so to speak. And in this case, uh, you know when you're when you're not policing, you're not leading. What do you do for fun? Like what 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 keeps you in the Okanagan? What's uh, what excites you about living in our great city? You know, I have a wonderful spouse who's moved eight times over the last twenty years with me. Yeah, wow. and uh, we have two incredibly active and and um, healthy young girls. Uh, we love to ski and we love to bike and we love to camp in BC and I'm a swimmer as well. So, um, for us, our locations that we've, uh, policed and lived and, um, experienced in BC have always been around. Does it have a ski hill? Does it have great mountain biking and good spots to swim and enjoy? So, um, a unique, a uh, little tidbit about us. We sailed our boat to Mexico in 2012. Uh, we had a 43 foot sailboat and we left the coast of uh, central coast of BC and sailed that 43 foot boat down to Mexico. Wow. Um, there's a story. Yeah. It was yeah. an incredible experience. Yeah. And uh, we, I grew up sailing here on the lake in Kelowna um, with a boat at Shelter Bay Marina at the time with my dad and mom. Um, my, my whole family uh, lived together growing up, but it was just my dad and I who liked to sail. And so learned just on this lake here um, how to sail and, and certainly um, have taken that spirit of adventure into my uh, adult life and with my family as we explore this. Uh, That's a big inc- difference between sailing on, Okanagan, on Lake Okanagan <laughs> and then sailing on the ocean down the, down the whole western coast. Yes, it was a bit ocean. of a progression. When yeah. we lived in uh, Vancouver, we also had a boat on the Burrard Inlet, and then yeah. we sailed it up to yeah. BC and uh, central coast of BC and, and uh, salmon fished and sailed for quite a few years up there uh, before setting offshore. So circumnavigated Haida Gwaii uh, right after we got married. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I, that just creates so many questions, but we don't have time for it, but I'd love to understand more about that sailing trip because that's, uh, that's just wonderful. And, and they never go well, full trip. So I'm sure there's lots of stories and maybe a little bit of mutiny the police on the chief bounty. If you think is hard, you should try sailing your boat to Mexico. Yeah. Well, if, thank you, Superintendent Triance. And, uh, thanks for your time today. And it's wonderful to get to know you a little bit better. And thank you on behalf of the city for the work that you do and, and your team does. So, thank you very yeah, much. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Kelowna Talks. For more conversations about topics that matter in your community, subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you liked what you heard, give us a five-star rating and share Kelowna Talks with your friends and neighbours. If you'd like more information about this podcast and other big community conversations, 
visit Kelowna.ca community stories. 